Welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast about life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And um, we've just been chatting about it off air, but fresh from the mean streaks of the Cheltenham Half Marathon, (laughs) I am here recording. I didn't even run it, and I'm tired. And I have spent the morning playing Zelda, and I'm also tired. Well, I mean, as as we said before, and we will say again, your tiredness will always trump mine <laughs> now, uh, because you have a wonderful, you know, uh, you have a wonderful superhero in the making. You know, uh, you you know, you're a father. You know, I'm just a layabout, basically. <laughs> he I can't even run a half marathon. My brother ran it. I just cheered him on. He he watched me play Zelda. He was he's fascinated just watching the screen and he doesn't know what's happening, but he's like, Oh colours. <laughs> it's always just like me sometimes. <laughs> Don't really know what's going on. Just appreciate the uh, pretty colours, which is why we talk about comics, PJ. Yes. Because they've got it all. Yes, but only certain comics, because they're if they're black and white, we can't talk about the pretty colours and then we don't want to know. Uh, we, uh, we, we were also saying off air, this episode is going to be very much a, uh, show and tell, which is perfect for a visual medium like this. But, um, I, I've brought something to the podcast, PJ. Ooh, what have you brought? Well, we've spoken at length about the, uh, gateway comics drug for many, uh, UK folk kind of in the late nineties. Hmm. which was the uh, Panini Collector's Editions. Yes. Which were, well, again, as a quick rundown for anyone who's not familiar, a, a very bizarre format where it was two, but more likely three uh, original US issues of Marvel Comics uh, reprinted and bound, staple-bound together as one oversized floppy with a kind of cardboard cover, which was exclusive to the UK, basically. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, well, when they started, they would have their own, they'd commission their own art, um, some of which was pretty good, some of which wasn't. Uh, Yeah, some was a little questionable. Yeah, then eventually they just sort of started um, reprinting the US covers as well. And depending on the title you were collecting because they had a few uh I, th- I think when they first started out it was very much um marvel heroes reborn which we'll get to spider-man and x-men because i because I, I guess spider-man was evergreen like everybody knew spider-man at that point everybody knew the x-men um marvel heroes reborn had a kind of focus on 
Iron Man and the Fantastic Four, I want to say. Well, it was the, the, the cartoons that were big at the time, wasn't it? Because X-Men was the, you know, X-Men and Batman the Animated Series really revitalized the superhero cartoon <laughs> at the same yeah. time. And then Spider-Man sort of never really went away, but got a new cartoon as well about a year after X-Men started. And then... The the comic fans were were going. Oh, what about the Marvel Action Hour, where you get <laughs> you'd get uh, Fantastic Four Iron, and Iron Man, their new cartoons, which weren't great, uh, and but also the old, I want to say, eighties Hulk cartoon in the middle of that as well. Uh, just PJ, the I, hour. PJ, I I don't normally kind of call you up on factual inaccuracies like this. Uh, you just said that the uh, Fantastic Four and Iron Man cartoons were not great. I would just like to clarify that the Iron Man cartoon is awful. The first season <laughs> is pretty bad. The second season, because both of them, during the second season, they get new theme tunes, new animation styles, and the second season of Iron Man is pretty good. They sort of do away with the Masters of the Universe <laughs> thing where it's the same villain every week and the team of heroes and... Um, I uh, yeah, I loved the Iron Man cartoon as a kid. Absolutely mm. loved it. And then watched a few episodes uh, a few months back on Disney Plus. Uh, season one, but good god, they're bad. Although they're, they're really bad. Season one is really bad. Season two is is a bit better. Um, and you do get Iron Man is the one who sort of guest stars in every other show as well. He was in Spider Man and he was he was he in was, the Incredible he, Hulk yeah. and with the same voice actor. So that was fun. Yeah, I re- that's when I really got into Iron Man, mm, actually, who, who who was a very obscure... And I guess the weird thing is, is that th- this was kind of around... Because, you know, spoilers, the thing I'm holding in front of me is dated 1998. So, again, the older we get, the faster time flies. But, my God, what a difference a decade made mm. to go from, like, 1998, where Iron Man is, like, the most obscure character you could imagine in the UK, at least, to 2008, where... Suddenly, hello, Robert Downey Jr. Everybody and their dog knows Iron Man. Everyone's in love with Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also a time when the screen didn't dictate so much what was going on in in the comics because at the same time as you have the Iron Man cartoon, the comics are killing off Tony Stark and replacing him with a teenage alternate reality version of himself. So, Yeah, well, talking about that and the weirdness of, well... You can see why, my, oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. But, you know, you go, hey, PJ, all the kids are loving this cartoon. Let's get them into, you know, the comics. And so what better place to start than in the UK, Marvel Heroes Reborn, <sighs> starring the Fantastic Four and Iron Man, which is the comic I'm holding in front of me, uh, which was the UK reprints of the Marvel Heroes Reborn mm. imprint, which was... An odd horse to back, in hindsight. Well, when those comics started, they were supposed to be a permanent new beginning for these characters. The idea was that they weren't going to be brought back in the main Marvel universe. This was just going to be mm. the new thing. And then very quickly, Marvel realised, oh, people don't like that. We're going to have to bring them back, so we'll do a year. But it means that like, within four or five issues, you start getting references to Onslaught and weirdness happening that means you need to have really read volume one of both comics to understand what's happening. Mm. It, would be, it would be a fascinating... It's, it's the road not travel, but it would have been fascinating to see Heroes Reborn 
play out differently mm. because it's a really like if you think about it it's a it's a buck wild idea to take your your biggest characters and not just reboot them as the ultimates did but like to go no 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 they're dead in this universe we're kind of like plucking them out of existence and then who are you left with it's like you know the thunderbolts one of the hulks and uh, and Spider-Man. Oh, and X-Men. Like, yeah. all the heroes that no one likes. Yeah, the I heroes mean, nobody trusts. <laughs> it's bold. It's really bold. Yeah, uh, but fans didn't like it, so Marvel course-corrected very quickly. Well, what I'm holding, PJ, is... Uh, and the reason I, I bring it to the podcast is this is the first, quote-unquote... I, I don't know how to rephrase it. Like, adult comic um, I ever owned. The first um, American comic I ever owned. Mm. The first proper comic i you know because in the uk we had like the beano the dandy uh 2000 ad but i was a bit young for that um you know we we didn't have this this kind of homegrown pedigree of like superheroes and the like and they i only saw them in cartoons they were kind of exotic and weird and then inexplicably i ended up with a copy i i think my dad may have got it randomly from a news agents of Marvel Heroes Reborn, issue 14. It wasn't even the first one. Oh, wow. Like the end of the Galactus four-parter then. Oh, PJ, what what memory that? What a memory. Uh, <laughs> it's actually, uh, it is part, uh, part, part two. Ah, oh, part two. You were so close, PJ. But yeah, God, PJ, what a memory. Um, Literally the first time I own a comic featuring Fantastic Four and Iron Man, uh guest starring the avengers and uh everybody dies yeah like because it's it's time travel and uh it blew my young mind like uh it was just the wildest stuff i think i'd ever seen (laughs) yeah because isn't it like each issue 12 is part of this galactus story and in each one at the end of the issue everyone dies and dr doom travels back in time to try again (laughs) yeah and it, 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 it's funny because uh, they, of course, every chapter was handled by a different creative mm. team, and the idea of you know they would do it less than a decade later with the Ultimate line, but the idea of doing Galactus again in the modern age, and then having this device of oh no they fail and Galactus destroys the planet, and the only person left to kind of warn people is Doctor Doom yeah. because he has a time machine. Yeah, it's a great gimmick and. This issue kind of stuck in my brain, uh, has stuck in my brain for for years. I mean, just what a what a weird weird place to kind of enter the story. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'd never seen Iron. Well, I'd seen Iron Man in the cartoons, but I sorry, I had never seen uh, Captain America. I'd never seen Thor. Uh, I certainly never seen Vision, Ant Man, or the Wasp. Hmm. Uh, And I fell in love with these characters, even though this was Marvel Heroes Reborn, which is a little janky. I fell in love with them instantly. Little janky. (laughs) It was a little janky. I mean, I still think that Ant-Man is meant to be walking around wearing like brown battle armor. Yeah. Yeah, because it was the image era, wasn't it? So, you know, and the Heroes Reborn was started by the image artists. Yeah. Yeah. and, and, And but the weird thing, PG, is I always remember, you know, kind of throughout my teenage years and adult life, I always remember this issue as being, like, really deep and Shakespearean. But, oh. of course, like, I would have been uh, 12 at the time I read this. So, you know, 
I was thinking like, oh, is this rose tinted goggles? Am I just, you know, kind of remembering it differently? But as I have recently reclaimed all my original Panini collector's editions from my parents' attic, and they are now sitting on a table next to me needing to be sorted out, I've picked up this original issue and it's good, PJ. Is it? It's 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 really good. I think it's really good. Maybe there's a bit of rose tinted goggles, but it's written by Walter Simonson. Oh, okay. Oh, he is. It, yeah, no, that that's probably good then. I don't yeah, think I've ever read a Walter Simonson comic I didn't like. Sorry, sorry, Simonson. Yeah, but but this is a wild thing. It is a um, this is Avengers Volume Two. So from the it, it reprints Avengers Volume Two Number Twelve. So yeah, my first ever American comic was an Avengers comic. And written by Walter Simonson. Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> and and it does have this big weighty kind of like weirdness to it. There's a drama to it. It's 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 good. It's really good. And I know and like they get a bit trigger happy towards the end. Like everybody's dying yeah. because that's the point. Like you just, you know, they're meant to die quickly. Yeah. But it's almost getting a bit silly. It's like Hawkeye's dead, and then two panels later, like Wasp's dead. Um, but it all works. It's good. I I, I just it's sometimes nice to have your memories uh, live up to your memory of them, I guess. I wish I still had mine to to check out. You're making me kind of want to see if I could revisit that. Hmm. Maybe we could do a kind of like uh, joint custody kind of thing, PJ. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe. I'm sure hey, the and- Heroes Reborn trades aren't very expensive these days if I was desperate. Do they exist? I used to have the Fantastic Four trade, which has collected all 12 issues. The problem you have there, though, is it doesn't collect any of the crossover issues. So you only get the Fantastic Four issue of the Galactus story. Oh, which is a bit confusing to read in isolation, I imagine. Well, I think that was part one, so it's not so bad, but um, it is just sort of left on a cliffhanger. Hmm. And of course, I wonder where, if anywhere, the heroes return miniseries is collected they did a trade of that as well i don't think they're in print anymore but there was about 10 years ago they did a a trade of each heroes reborn series and a trade of the return yeah it's i like the return wanted... actually i remember the return being really good i thought the return was really good and again like as a, as a younger person reading these i wasn't as discerning and i certainly didn't know who the different creators were i just assumed that all comics came from the same pit in the ground they just kind of like found them but um yeah i think even as a kid i was like oh you know what this return business it's um i was like there's something going on here it's it's like funny it's clever and i think that was peter david it was peter david and it was uh, carlos pacheco which i was think it? when you go from the very image style you know jim lee and rob liefeld obviously start heroes reborn and then even though they don't do every issue it feels like every artist who comes after them on the actual central books is sort of trying to ape their styles to a degree still draw it like that so then you go to carlos pacheco who's drawing it like carlos pacheco you're like oh man this looks so different and so bright and breezy and beautiful i love it yeah, it had a kind of lightness to it. Mm. And and it, and it's funny, like, um, you know, I still have a real soft spot for Iron Man's weird um, Heroes Reborn armour. With the chimneys. With the chimneys on his shoulders and all the pipes around his neck. I mean, oh, that's the 90s, like, distilled down mm. into, like, a droplet of, 
Oh, it's incredible. Yep. Love it. Love it to bits. Yep. Uh, very silly, but kind of wonderful. <laughs> um, you can just imagine it making like a chugga 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 noise oh, as he flies along. God. Oh, my God. Even just, um, I'm thinking back about it now, PJ. I'm, I'm looking forward to rereading it now I've got it with me. But um, even just the way, I guess, they effectively retconned or uh, course corrected the Heroes Reborn universe. But even little things like Iron Man flying into the negative zone so he could step outside the physical universe to do carbon dating on a piece of matter to discover that their universe is only a year old. Yes. That's wild. That's clever. <laughs> that is that is a fun, clever thing to do. Yeah. We should all applaud it. And also, uh, Hulk had really long, beautiful hair in the Marvel Heroes Reborn universe. Yeah, and I love the moment where the main Marvel Universe <laughs> Hulk and the Heroes Reborn Hulk meet. I know what you're thinking, yeah. <laughs> and then they're just like, oh, let's have a fight. <laughs> and Spider-Man's standing between them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm standing between two Hulks. Am I nuts? <laughs> um... I know this is ostensibly a podcast about uh, life in the DC universe, but I hope these stories kind of um, help drive home the fact that in the UK, at least, if you grew up in a certain time, uh, Marvel comics were just a little easier to get hold of. Yes, they were. They were. This is long before Panini started doing Batman Legends, which they did just after JLA Avengers, and they had for about two years before Titan got the DC license and just started putting out... DC books like the Panini Marvel books, but uh, yeah, this was well before then. Mm. And again, um, not to keep harping on about uh, Marvel comics, but I thought I'd bring it up here because PJ, I have no one else to talk to it about. Talk to about <laughs> it. Um, I read a completely new graphic novel for me. It's not a new book, but I read The Twelve by Michael Straczynski and Chris Weston. See, I was collecting that in individual issues, and I don't think I ever got to the end of it. I think for some reason my comic shop at the time stopped getting it or something. But oh, that's interesting. So I, no, think... I, I I read about it, PJ. It it it's um it there was a break in publication. That'll probably be why. Apparently, Michael Straczynski's um work in Hollywood was becoming so successful that he needed to take a break to go finish a few movie scripts. So there was a break of like three years or so before it picked up again. Yep, that'll explain why I never finished it. There you go. There you go. I always and wondered if those characters were still running around in the modern Marvel universe. <laughs> I've been trying to do a bit of research, and as far as I'm aware, I don't think a single one of them has appeared again oh, in any other context. That's a shame, because a lot of them are wearing those classic pulp hero costumes where it's a, a hat and a mask and a cape and then just a normal suit. And I love that as a look. Part of me is just like, yeah, that's great. I, I'm a real, yeah, I've got a real soft spot for those kind of like pulp heroes of the, of the 30s and 40s mm. and stuff where you could get away with just having a domino mask yeah. or a, um, I don't know, like a, like a shadow, like a, 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 a handkerchief tied around your, your nose. Yeah. Yeah. Or the spirit. Or the grifter. <laughs> no, not the grifter. Oh, PJ, it's, look, it's the same It's the same neckerchief. You move it up four inches, you're grifter. You move it down four inches, you're the shadow. You move Why it... is one okay and one not, PJ? Because the shadow's also wearing a hat so that the wind can't blow his neckerchief away. Look, okay, just because grifter's greatest weakness is an updraft <laughs> is is not his fault, okay? Yeah. He's trying. <laughs> He's really trying. Also, Should we explain? the shadow knows what evil lurks in the minds of men, whereas grifter's just got a gun. Grifter's got a gun. 
It's got many guns, actually. <laughs> a- and actually, PJ, I'm going to put my anorak on now. Actually, he's got immense psychic powers, but he doesn't use them. Well, that's just lame, isn't it? Yeah, well. He should use them. That's what I think. <laughs> he should use them. What? Oh, no, you're right, actually, PJ. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, you should just do that. <laughs> um, should we Should we uh, briefly explain the, the conceit of the Twelve? So, yeah, it, it basically posits that at the end of World War II, 12 superheroes were uh, accidentally put into stasis and then they wake up in the present day around the time of Civil War. And um, someone starts yeah, murdering them, I think. Yeah, there's like a... Yeah, it's it's a, yeah, it's that big hook where it's like, uh, oh, yeah, and now one of them's dead. Mm. And then it's like, off you go. I, I've got to say, like, going in, I... I it's really rare and exciting to have a complete, to me, a completely new graphic novel of this type that I wasn't aware of, mm. you know, or I'd never read. And I was determined to not spoil it for myself. So even when it arrived in the post, I didn't flick through it as I often do. I, I literally started at page one, page two, and just worked my way through <laughs> it, uh, which was a real delight in itself. I, I, I don't want to be too much of an old man about it, but it, it really felt like a book from a different era mm. where it was just a just a good story kind of uh god i do sound like such an old man now but like you know i know what i'm trying to say like it wasn't connected to a bigger event even though it mentions civil war uh it was quite self-contained it had like a beginning a middle and an end it was it was really nice i enjoyed it a lot i enjoyed what i read of it i'd like to i need to track down a trade so i can read the last few issues it was the weirdest thing going in is that I knew it was about kind of obscure characters from the timely days yeah. so like of Marvel. So kind of like really obscure characters, which almost lapsed into the public domain. Um, probably were in the public domain, some of them. Um, I didn't realize it was about them re-entering the modern day. I honestly thought it was going to be a period piece hmm. kind of set, you know, back back in the, the, the glorious 40s and 30s. Well, no, it was well the modern day of like two thousand six. But it's 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 the weird thing where one thing I liked about it, and to be honest, it's something I kind of like about superhero teams in general, is when you get a team which is made up of heroes that were created individually. Yes, uh, it's why, like you know, you look at like the Justice League. And you might go to yourself, oh, it's kind of weird that, like, you know, Flash is the speedster, but also Superman is really fast. Mm. You know, it's not quite Flash fast, but he's very fast. And, it, and isn't it weird that, like, I don't know, Jean, Wonder Woman, and Superman can all fly and are all super strong? You know, so you might go, like, oh, it's weird. They're not very balanced as a team. Why isn't there, like, a fire person or a psychic person? But it's, like, because they were individuals. They were never meant to be functioning together like this they the magnificent seven came together kind of later and that's kind of part of their charm yeah yeah and exactly. um, yeah and, and the 12 is a, is a particularly like exaggerated example of that where it's a really really weird group of characters um and as you said like you know three of them i think at least are just people who are quite good with a gun <laughs> you know and their fisks yeah yeah i mean that's just the nature of of I, you know, really the Justice Society, I guess, are the ones that started that sort of thing, aren't they? Uh, mm. Back in the day, and then you get the JLA, and then eventually the Avengers, and then and then who knows who? Everyone else, outsiders, the 
uh, the defenders, the champions, all of these. The other invaders. Teams. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who's not on the JLA or Avengers can be on the other teams. How do you feel in general, PJ, about the kind of World War Two heroes and like and 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 where both Marvel, how both Marvel and DC have treated them over the years? Because, like, I always knew that Captain America was running around with like the invaders mm. and and you know some other characters that you know i think i'd recognize by sight but you know didn't really make it into the present day and and it was it was weird to me to have like 12 new characters well not not new new characters but to go oh here's 12 more characters who were around at the time and now they've ended up in the present day as well and actually they make a whole point of pointing out in the 12 that there were like hundreds of superheroes like running around yeah. during world war Two. yeah i think i you know, obviously DC's wartime characters generally are, it was the Justice Society, so and it's bigger names. And if you go back to the original publishing, it is Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and then obviously Golden Age Greenlands and Golden Age Flash and Our Man, Wildcat, those sorts of characters. Um, but I think even though DC have the, the more recognisable characters of the era, I sort of prefer how Marvel handle the characters in the they're sort of like... This is the history of it. Some of them are still around for various reasons, but not many of them. You know, Captain America, Namor, the original Human Torch, a couple of others. Spitfire, I think, is one. Union Jack, things like that. Yeah. But then as it, they just sort of get referenced here and there. And occasionally you get new stories, but set in the war. Whereas DC is always like, mm, that was a parallel universe. Now it wasn't. We don't really know what we're doing with this anymore. I think it comes down to something we've touched upon a little bit in JLA year one, where I still do think of Superman as being like the first. Yeah. And obviously that becomes a problem the longer the character exists. Yeah. Because now it's like, how, as we said before, how do we explain that Superman was fighting Nazis? How do we explain that Wonder Woman was active during Second World War? And of course, you have to keep coming up for reasons. You either kind of wreck on it and say, well, no, no, she wasn't. You're thinking of a different hero who happened to be around. Or it's her mom who uh, I'm like, oh, because she was immortal. It's like, no, because she went on a time traveling adventure, like at the end of her stint in the JLA. I mean, um, it would have made more sense to just have her be around in the war. But whatever, whatever, whatever yeah. John Byrne. So I th I think that's the thing. Like I, it's it's not the kind of problem that's going to keep me up at night, or I'll get angry about it. But it's certainly not. But it's like um, it's like those times where, and I can think of a couple of instances where, uh, Marvel have kind of said, no, actually, there was an Avengers team before the Avengers. Yeah. Like uh, in Avengers Forever, and I was fine with this because it's all timey wimey. Uh, the Avengers meet a team of avengers who were active in the 50s you know and then you've got like 3d man and marvel boy and uh there was a gorilla i think yeah i can't remember yeah gorilla man uh gorilla man there we go yeah and i'm like okay that's weird and then even like the wasp is like i've never heard of a team of avengers who were active in the 50s and it's like well maybe they got a raise from time but then I think Bendis did a series where it's like there was a team of Avengers running around in the 30s or something like that. That Nick Fury put together or something. I, d I didn't like that one, to be honest. Oh, no, I didn't even read it. But I'm just like, does it, is, I don't know. Does it not take away from some of the specialness 
of the founders if it turns out there's been like so many earlier incarnations of heroes? Yeah, I think it does. And I've forgotten about those series that they did. And there's an X-Men one as well, I think, where Wolverine, Sabretooth and Magneto were all on a team with other mutants in oh. the 50s or something. It was like, oh, jeez, do we have to? Look, we just need to put X-Men in a box it's... and just... It Guys, just, it makes the universe too small if all of these characters were meeting each other in the fifties and during the war, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I yeah, it's the thing that's kind of annoying. And and you want the universe to feel big. You want it to feel like it can it can always go new places. And I I admit it's it's the curse of having a continuity. It's the curse of canon because you've got to go. Well, what do we do now with this ever shifting? timeline you know obviously captain america being frozen in ice whether he was frozen for 20 years or 70 years like the story still works mm. but then it's like all the other characters who have now apparently been de-aged or time skipped or you know frozen you've got to find increased increasingly absurd reasons to explain how they were all active at the time that's it i think i remember tom brevoort saying we're gonna to have to do something about magneto at some point and everyone, because he was active during the war, and everyone went, yeah. oh, it's fine, he's been de-aged. And Brevoort went, yeah, but there's going to come a point where it means the X-Men were beating up an 80-year-old man in their first appearance. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> of course, you know, it's a very good point. It's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. Because, obviously, it's a big part of Magneto's origin yeah. story. Yeah, he's one of the but, few characters it's hard to divorce from from the war. But then there does come a point where it's like, and the X-Men are just, just wailing on an octogenarian. Cool. <laughs> And I guess it's a little different with characters who... It comes down to this big issue where... The, the issues where the characters are expressly taking part in a major world event. So, mm -hmm. like, World War Two, obviously having these patriotic heroes was a big part of the publishing narrative at the time, you know. G you know, give people heroes to rally behind. And so it's a bit different than, say, Iron Man, who was originally wounded in, I believe, the Korean War? Vietnam. Vietnam, sorry, yeah, but then you can just you can just keep moving the war, can't you? Because... Yeah, I think it became the Gulf War eventually, didn't it? Or... Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's a, it's a sad fact that there will probably always be a war yeah. where you can probably say Iron Man was was injured in. So that's 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 an easier kind of not to you know unravel. And, but and there are things you can just ignore as well, like early days of Fantastic Four. There are a couple of mentions to Mister Fantastic and the Thing fighting in World War Two. And then obviously that sort of just stops happening as you get further along and just doesn't get mentioned anymore. And they didn't do that, actually. And we'll yeah, just ignore yeah, that just, line of dialogue from 1960s. Yeah, just just don't work. Yeah, just don't worry about it. It's <laughs> fine. And I guess the the weird, uh, just to briefly bring it back to the 12, the, the weirdest thing about the 12 is that it's, I, I very much enjoyed it as a story. I, I found it weird seeing these characters kind of... Um, interacting in being around the modern marvel universe mm. even though but no other characters make cameos like spider-man doesn't turn up or anything like that it's just um it's weird to me because it's like it's very meta it's, it's very meta in a big way where like these are weird characters and the only reason i i care about them is because i know they were real characters that were created in the 30s and 40s and there's not a wealth of information about them online like it's quite hard to find see i at the time was first of all i've got um 
I think it's the Daring Mystery Comics Archive Volume 1, which is a Golden right. Age reprint book, which some of these characters were in. That I It was recommended to me that I buy it if I was interested in the 12, because some of the characters' original appearances are in there. So I've got that, so I'd read that. But I was also buying, at this point, Marvel every month were putting out a new official handbook of the Marvel Universe and right, there right. was a couple of Golden Age ones that covered the Golden Age characters. So I had read about these characters in those as well. And so I was sort of a bit more aware of them and gone, oh, okay, I'd like to see, first of all, some of their original stories, but also see what they do with these characters now. It's a really fun, it's a really fun exercise. I can imagine that uh, Michael Straczynski and, 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 and Chris Weskin must have had a bit of fun. Oh, yeah. Like coming, because... Because it's also like, it's a fun exercise going like, did I design this character? No, no, the laughing mask existed at the time. And it's like, well, what does he look like? Oh God, his costume's awful. Um, it's the blue blade who's just a man with a sword wearing pants and a helmet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, w- I would say like, Chris Weston is, is very good at drawing faces. Mm. And I think he absolutely excels in the 12 because it's almost like he's drawing the characters' likenesses as they originally would have been drawn, but of course with increased the increased detail and penmanship of, of a modern artist. Yeah. So there's a character called Mastermind Excello. Yes. Who is constantly pulling some of the strangest, most contorted facial expressions I've ever seen a character pull. And it's amazing. Like it's such it's such a delight <laughs> to kind of look at. And then, again, it's the weirdness of it. I, I, I'm doing a really bad job of vocalising how this book felt because the characters just got under my skin as being, like, really, really bizarre. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird to me when, I guess, canonically now, there were at least two characters running around in the in Second World War. I, I'm thinking of Captain Wonder and... Uh, oh, Dynamic Man. Mm. So we literally have two characters running around who are kind of like Superman level power. Yeah. Who can fly and are very strong. And I'm like, the only thing where I go like, oh, I'm slightly struggling to suspend dis- disbelief here. Is that like, Captain America is a big deal to me. And I'm like, oh my God. But like, if there was a dude who wore red, white and blue and could fly and lift a tank over his head, I'm like, <laughs> wouldn't we be talking about him a bit more? <laughs> nope, because Captain America's the one they brought back for the Avengers. Yeah, actually. And Captain Wonder forgot to put any trousers on. Yeah, well, that happened a lot with those heroes. <laughs> yeah, and and God bless Chris Weston. He does not shy away from drawing those each hair on that man's legs <laughs> in a way that they did not in the 1930s. Uh. So. <laughs> that was the real reason for the delay in the book. He was like, there's, there's too many hairs. Just going to have to give enough- me more time to draw this. There is not enough ink in the world to cover all the hair on this man's legs. <laughs> um, but there we go. Sorry, that's all the random uh, non-DC stuff I've been reading this week. So apologies, folks. There's also been JLA. Yes, JLA, which we're about to look at now. It's the only DC thing I've read this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so PJ, um, I mean, should we do a quick recap? I do believe Superman was about to accept uh, a position in the JLA. Oh, no, John, he said no. He oh, what? Down. what? Why, why would he do that? Yeah. They're the Justice League, PJ. Yeah, but, you know, they haven't even been around a year at the moment. They're not what they would become. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're Justice League light at the moment. They're trying. They're learning. Yeah. 
but no, PJ, what, what has been happening in this, the first year of uh, the JLA's um, operations? Well, locusts have been happening and they have been uh, making big purple bodies out of alien bits or something, I think. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, sorry, I, I I agree, PJ. I just couldn't find a better way of describing it. Yeah, they're making big purple bodies out of alien. Effectively, bits. they're making dragon mans. They do look like dragon dragon men's, don't they? Yeah. Don't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good shout, PJ. That is a good shout. Oh, and um, yeah, uh, the league are uh, you know so they're dealing with this rogue group of super scientists called locusts who as pj said are making bodies out of purple alien bits um at the same time they have a mysterious benefactor who's paying for everything and they have no idea who he is um uh they 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 thought inviting superman to join would be a good idea um and uh yeah, they they may all just be wrestling with identity and secrets and learning to trust each other, but I'm sure they can pull it all together. Oh yeah, everything's going to be fine. It's just a couple of pages time. They'll just be kicking back, having a cup of tea, and everyone will be fine and dandy. Like Superman will walk back in and go, you know what, guys, I made a mistake. I was too hasty. I would actually love to join. And here's my friend Batman. He would also like to join. And he also thinks that Hal should be the leader because he's <laughs> so cool. He's so cool. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's basically where we're at, yeah. I think. Yeah. And and we open this issue, JLA Year One issue, because I can't remember what the issue number is. Uh, eight. Eight, thank you. <laughs> In Locus headquarters, where Locus are showing off their big purple dragon man's bodies. And there's I don't, a, a, a hooded man whose voice boxes are a little bit wobbly. And um, I don't think we've seen him yet. No, uh, a hooded man uh, in, a, in a brownish robe yeah. with yellow trim. So... You might be mistaken for thinking this is our man, but uh, it ain't. No, Sorry, it's, folks. it's someone else's man. Yeah, but, you know, when I see a brown and gold superhero, I instantly go to the Masker of Time. Yes. Well, why wouldn't you? Um, but, yeah, they're, they're showing off their big purple bodies, their big purple purple dragon bodies. And, um, yeah, and they're, 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 they're very proud because they've made them out of um, Appalachian DNA, which they captured from the Justice League. And, of course... The event that brought the Justice League together was the Appalachian invasion, where they they fought these weird aliens, each of whom were completely different, had like mad weird bodies and stuff. So, yeah, that's apparently important. Yeah, the Appalachian bit. So, just something to bear in mind. Yeah, and as the scientists are celebrating their triumph, and the the hooded figure is saying that tomorrow Earth belongs to locusts. There's one locust scientist, Anderson, who's looking at a, a laptop screen. And seems to be typing a message that says he has nothing to lose, no one to miss him, no one to miss. And that's what makes it easy. Yeah. So, you know, and um, I also like that he's typing a very important message, uh, I guess, kind of while there's a presentation from the boss on. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but the boss is like, you know, uh, so, you know, good work, folks. And uh, so don't forget, if you've got any worldly affairs left to, uh, you know, wrap up, any loose ends any goodbyes you need to say make sure you do it today hmm. so that's fun yep and then we cut to the justice league's headquarters they're outside on the beach and green lantern is launching the superman logo chair into space as he says anyone else uh, got any bright ideas yeah so uh he took that well i guess <laughs> yeah. uh, not being petty at all there yeah 
Yeah, and this is also where we get our title and credit. So it's Loose Ends, Mark Wade, Brian Augustin, Barry Kitson, Storytellers, Michael Bear, Inca, Ken Lopez, Letterer, Pat Garrahy, Colorist, Heroic Age Separations, and Peter Tomasi, Editor. Uh, yeah, and so I guess after the end of probably the most uh, embarrassing and awkward job interview ever, um, the leaguers go back into their dirty cave to, um, you know, kind of lick their wounds after Superman so callously turned them, turned them down, basically. Yeah. Uh, apparently he said, my time is not my own. And Black Canary says, whose is? Like Lantern, how many free evenings do you have? But Green Lantern's just ignoring them and scowling. He's looking, he's a grumpy Green Lantern. Yeah, poor Hal. Classic overachiever. He's not, he's not having a good time, no. basically. No. But um, Aquaman is a bit more kind of pragmatic. He says, well, look, the fact that Superman turned us down is not as interesting as the fact that uh, what we learned about Superman. So, and he does a quick recap of the uh, kind of events that brought them all together, where they had each individually battled uh, an Appalachian warrior who was, you know, trying to like transform the world. And then they teamed up together to fight a sixth, you know, and they were all kind of like... Um, each one's like different, like almost like elemental. Like one's, you know, kind of made of ice. One's made of fire. There's a giant bird, which of course is, you know, traditionally one of the elements. And <laughs> giant, uh, yeah, earth, fire, water, bird. Those are the bird. four elements. <laughs> oh, and uh, the sixth one was made of wood. It was a big. It was a big wood wood yeah. monster. Basically. I got to say, I love the individual panels. These flashback panels. I think they they're, they're great panels of the league fighting the respective aliens and then coming together to fight the the big woodman i think they the, the art team do draw the hell out of these oh yeah no it's delightful and um i do love the fact that out of all the challenges they faced um hal had to deal with the giant bird yeah. which is only a challenge because it is yellow yeah yeah <laughs> like <laughs> good but, work hal as aquaman says though they assumed that they dealt with all the aliens but then superman says he battled the seventh and you get another really cool panel of superman fighting his appalachian invader yeah and uh they some it's, it's like uh you know ships in the night but maybe that if, if it, things had worked out a little differently maybe superman would have joined at that point but um yeah so basically the league realized that they didn't know as much about the invasion as they thought they did and uh if they missed one alien, maybe they missed more. Ooh. Uh, but but thankfully, PJ, there's the the secret member of the league that we all forget about. Scapa Car is here to help out. <laughs> yeah, I, that's it. I like that Aquaman says, "Who's to say there's more out there?" And Snapper says, "Not me." And Black Canary just says, "Snapper, what did you hack?" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, uh, I have hacked the Red Army mainframe, and you said there were seven meteors. There was an eighth. As he snaps his fingers, because he snap a car, snap, snap, snap. Yeah, so yeah, all manner of all manner of aliens they're missing. Um, but hey, PJ, uh, let's cut to everyone's favourite character. It's uh, Anderson, the locust scientist, and uh, he's buying uh, he's buying some fruit from a from a shop. Yeah, from Mister Gunwadi, who he should know because he's bought fruit from him all the time. But he's very distracted, and he's like, "I have no idea who you are." And then his neighbour invites him over, and he's like, "I don't know who you are, really. I'm too distracted. I'm not coming over." And yeah, something's up with Anderson. Yeah, poor Anderson. You know, and uh, you know, it turns out he's he's not been very sociable of late. You know, all his neighbours are like, "Hey, uh, Mister Anderson. You know, good to see you." And he's like. 
but you know he'd rather go inside and eat his apple in private and um i don't know contemplate Mm. 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 but hey uh snapper good as his word was able to find the location for where the eighth meteor landed uh in star city harbor and so the league are doing a bit of um ocean dredging basically yeah so the flash has created a well, he's run so fast that he creates like a wall, so the water is is just not there anymore. It's a big circle of 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 bottom of the ocean that Green Lantern can scan. And Flash asks, "Can you see anything?" And Lantern is is a bit surly still. He says, "No, go faster, clear a bigger area." And the Flash says, "And this, I think, is is you know, this shows you this is early in Barry's career as he's struggling. He says, "I can't really go much faster." And Lantern just says, "I said do it now." And Barry says, "Oh, okay, no need to get snarky." But if this were later in his career, he could go faster. Yeah. You know, he could um, alter his vibrational frequency to make a second flash to help out. He could do all kinds of stuff. He could do all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, Aquaman is uh, enlisting the help of some, I was going to say squids, but like octopuses, octopodi. Cephalopods. (laughs) Cephalopods. Thank you, PJ. (laughs) Saving me. Uh, to help uh, kind of shift some rocks. And then he looks around in horror to see this massive kind of water spout which Flash and, and Hal have created. And uh, he's like, what are you doing? You know, you're, 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 you're wreaking ecological havoc, you, you thug. <laughs> and Hal's like, uh, look, okay, it was my call. We're done here anyway. And, uh, and then they move, they move to the beach and... Uh, <laughs> They start searching the beach. I love so. that Aquaman's just lifting up a big rock because what else can he do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. And Hal's uh, created a digger. The Flash is moving at super speed, and Aquaman's just looking under a rock. Yeah, yeah. Because Hal's really uh, got to stick up his ass about this. He's like, you know, seems to really want results, basically. And uh, thankfully, guess who's here to uh, help out? It's uh, Green Arrow. Yeah. Who's uh, got some snark of his own. Always, kind of... always happy to see Green Arrow. <laughs> Lantern seems surprised he's there and Green Arrow points out, well, this, this is my city, so what are you looking for? Can I help? And Lantern's all, yeah, why don't you fire your meteor detection arrow? <laughs> and Green Lantern retaliates by saying, oh, I'm fresh out, but my jerk magnet might find something as he shoots an arrow at Hal. <laughs> yeah. I love uh, it. I love it. I've got to say, like, I, I do quite like... Um, that obviously in this in this in this story uh, in this whole series they've gone with a very traditional Green Arrow outfit, hmm. uh, and I do actually like just it's going to sound daft how baggy his t-shirt is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like he's really just wearing a big comfy green t-shirt. And I'm like, okay, I can get behind that. I like it. It's the I've got a collection, a small collection of um, Jack Kirby did a bit of work on Green Arrow. I want to say in the fifties. And I've got oh, the wow. collection of it, and this is basically the pure Kirby outfit. It's uh, it's cool. I like his. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's 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 it's, it's if most superhero costumes are daft, if you think about it, it's it's a daft costume. Is is he's wearing a comfy green T-shirt and he's got a feather in his hat, but I like it yeah, actually. Same. It's, it's it's silly. It's fun. Uh, and yeah, Howl's being a jerk because well, they think he's mad because Superman turned down their membership offer. Yeah, and, and Barry says, oh, no offence, by the way. And Arrow just says, oh, I wouldn't join you if you asked. He's got to learn to take the blows. Yeah, and 
and not just that, PJ, to take the blows and roll with the times. Yeah. And it's the moment I've been waiting for, PJ. <laughs> the whole this is the moment John has been waiting for since we started JLA Year One. Ah, uh, this is why I've got another thing for show and tell. But let's do the scene first and see see what's happening. <laughs> so we're on Blackhawk Island, and the leader of the Blackhawks, who I believe is Blackhawk. Yes, it's called Blackhawk, I believe. Uh, he's like, so we've been we've been doing this for years. Um, we're still the finest fighting squad in the world has ever seen, even though, you know, you've got Justice Leagues and things like that now. So, yeah, I did say we need upgrading to hold our own in an emerging world of superheroes, but maybe I was too hasty, as you then see all the other Black Horse, quite frankly, dressed like lunatics. Yeah, um, wearing uh, superhero-esque kind of costumes, shall we say? Yeah, yeah, sort of. Um <laughs> So one of them is just like in a big cushion suit, big grey cushion suit, almost Stiltman-esque actually now I look at it. Sure, sure. Uh, another one is, is sort of in a gold version of that, but with a big full face helmet, so you know, you see his eyes. Then you got one of them in a tuxedo, but with metal gauntlets. And then a guy who's just got a shirt with ears on it. Uh yes, and the uh the 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 Black Hawks have the good grace to be very embarrassed about it, so they very quickly get undressed, basically. <laughs> yeah, and the guy with the ears is sort of muttering that I'm the listener. I know the sound of evil. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, to which uh, one of the Black Hawks is like, uh, "Well, I'm not going to do the accent. No, I think he, I, no. Um, but he's like, so Black Hawk, how?" How will we survive in, in, in the world of today? And Blackhawk, the Blackhawk, is like the way we always have, Henriksen, by being ourselves. And he opens the suitcase and uh, there's the classic uniform in there. Thank God, because that's much better than this. <laughs> right. Now, 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 PJ, the reason I've been quite excited to get to this is that, um, as we mentioned in a previous uh, episode, I have in front of me a copy of The League of Regrettable Superheroes by John Morris. Oh, I forgot to dig out my copy. Which is a collection of the um, more questionable superheroes yeah. over the years. Yeah. Um, and I was shocked, PJ, absolutely shocked to discover that the Blackhawks have an entry in The League of Regrettable Superheroes. Wait, I found, I, this. I found my copy. It's just there. Okay, okay, PJ's got it. Uh, if you want to jump to page 128, PJ. Right, here we go, here we go. Here we go, here we go. Oh, it was under my desk all along. It was holding up your desk. <laughs> no, it's quite small, my copy. The pocket version. Page 100 and what? 28. Here we go. This is, this is, this is incredible audio. Uh, my, my book finishes at 126. What? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Dude, we must have completely different editions then. Oh my god! Yeah, I don't think mine includes the Blackhawks. Okay, well, um, if if you if you'll allow me to kind of fill you in, PJ, as best I can. So, um, the Blackhawks have two, uh, well, technically two incarnations, uh, and the entry in this book is only for their new look, quote unquote. So the original Blackhawks debuted in Military Comics, August 1941, published by Quality Comics, and created by Chuck Kadira, Bob Powell, and Will Eisner. 
Hmm. Oh, Will and Eisner. Then, what a classic. The new look Blackhawks debuted in Blackhawk Volume 1 uh, at 228. So issue 228, published by DC Comics in January 1967. Oh, okay. So uh, this is, I honestly thought this was a joke that um, the creators, Mark Wade, Brian Oguskin and Barry Kitson had just come up with. Oh, this is, wait, what? Yeah. This, these costumes actually happened. Yes. Oh my uh, God. I thought this was a one-off joke they come up with, but no, I kid you not, PJ. This is a real reference to a real comic that came out. Holy moly! The cover has to be seen to be believed. Uh, it is the hit, the the Blackhawks running, you know, into action, each in their new costumes, with Blackhawk, the 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 main man, leaning over the logo, grinning. Uh, with a speech bubble coming off him that says, Get in with the new Blackhawk era. Dig our new secret identities. Because this came out in 1967, PJ. Wow. Oh my god. So the story behind it is, PJ, is exactly what you might imagine. By the late 1960s, fighting Nazis in kind of fighter planes was seen as a little boring. So they tried to jazz them up and make them like Silver Age superheroes. Um, And apparently uh, the story opens with a panel of government officials and superheroes, including Batman, Superman and The Flash, judging that the Blackhawks just aren't cool enough. Batman actually says on record, to put it bluntly, they just don't swing. Wow. Okay. So, so, so they became. Um, obviously, we're not familiar with the original cast of characters, so I'll try not to uh, bore you with their names, basically. But um, we had uh, uh, Andre, who was the French member of the team, who's uh, the one with the beret. Mm-hmm. He became Monsieur Machine because he had gadgets. Um, the one you said looked like he was wearing a pillow suit. Mm-hmm. That's actually meant to be rubber because his superhero identity is the Leaper because he's meant to be bouncy. Oh, my God. Um, The guy who was the demolitions expert was given uh, a blue costume covered in ears because he now became the listener. The team's computer. Yeah, okay. Um, Strongman Scanislaw... was given uh, a solid gold armor, which granted him the power of flight as the Golden Centurion. So I think he got a good deal there. Okay. Uh, Henderson, the team's elderly Dutch sharpshooter, became their weapons master as the weapons master. And um, the, uh, let's just say, questionably racist ethnic stereotype, uh, the Chinese member of the team, who was called... Chop Chop. Oh dear. Oh dear. Uh, was handed beryllium covered gloves and for some reason a tuxedo and redubbed the deadly Dr. Hands. Doc. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I should have known that this was a reference to something that actually happened because it's Mark Wade, but. Good yeah. god. <laughs> 
So in case you're wondering, PJ, the new Blackhawks worked for a government organization called George, which stood for the Group for the Extermination of Organizations of Revenge, Greed and Evil. Right. And they lasted 14 issues. 14? That's more than I expected. I know, that's more than a year uh, before going back to their original costumes. Well, they only did a page here. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, I think uh, they did a pretty good job of summarising everything you need to know about the new look Blackhawks. Yeah. No, they're not in my copy. I mean, my copy is the Loot Crate edition, so I guess it's slightly abridged. Oh. Although I did just have a flick through and I'm shocked to find out that Rom, the Space Knight, is in here. And I will not have that because Rom is awesome. Yeah, I was surprised to see that as well. People love Rom. I love Rom. I've never read any Rom. I can't I can't comment. I, I got into him recently-ish when uh, IDW got the license and they relaunched, uh, relaunched the character. And I really enjoyed what they did with him. And it made me try and track down some of the old Marvel stories as well. And uh, if that's Rom... I don't want to be right. Hey, there hey, we go. We got jokes. There people. we, we go. go. We can go home now. <laughs> um, I am. But home. yeah, uh, now that now that we've had one joke and our obligatory uh, Blackhawks uh, content dump, it's all downhill uh, from here. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> uh, but sorry, PJ. Um, what's this? Is a JLA podcast, not a Blackhawks podcast. What else is going on? Well, Hal Jordan is uh, at his power battery reciting his oath in Blackhawk Day. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. In Blackhawk up, in Blackhawk down. <laughs> Beware my power, green Blackhawks might. I don't know. <laughs> um. <laughs> Beware my feathers, the Blackhawks down. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, here we go. Anyway, he's recharging. Tom walks in and says, hey, let's go to Barger. And Hal's like, no, we're not going now. We're too far behind on this plane that we promised Carol, and you've got to get it done, and I'm a grumpy bear. Yeah, how? I don't know what the power dynamic here is. Like... Surely Hal is not Tom's boss. Like, surely they report to completely different divisions. I I don't know. I don't know. But Hal's being a jerk. Green Arrow was right. (laughs) Hal is being a massive jerk, basically. Yeah. Um, But meanwhile, back at base, um, Jean is hanging out with Snapper, which is, you know, the the match made in heaven. And um, they're... uh, they're kind of working on a on a machine together and snapper makes a very a joke in very poor taste where he thanks john and says that was awfully human of you to which he goes ah no sorry that wasn't cool that sorry man yeah and john because he's john says "Uh, no it's fine i think of it as a compliment in a way because i've been learning a great deal about being human lately indeed what could that mean but hey uh, Remember that the the reason Snapper is here is that uh, his uh, his uncle is uh, is the go between between the league and their wealthy benefactor. So it's like, oh hey, Uncle Simon, uh, what's uh, what are you up to, basically? Yeah, and Simon seems a bit distracted. So Snapper asks if everything's okay, and Simon says, "Are we talking to Jean? I need to keep an eye on him to make sure he's not digging into anything he's not supposed to." And Snapper says, you mean like who's who's financing the league? And Simon says, Look, just just keep me posted, just between us. And as Snapper walks away, he, he's sweating a lot and he's holding his head and looking concerned. And then suddenly he's smiling. But it is not he a smiled. fun smile. It is a cruel smile. Yes. And I have to say, PJ, that up until now, Simon's been just a, 
you know, very genial old businessman. You know, no no reason to suspect that there's anything weird about him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, maybe there's still no reason to suspect anything. Right? I'm suspicious. He's sweating, but we don't know how hot it is in there. <laughs> well, true. True. Hey, but PJ, from 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 one random guy in a suit to another, let's go to a restaurant. Yeah, so Anderson's there with his girlfriend and he's breaking up with her and she's very sad. And then he has like a flash of... Um, so you know the flash, the the dream sequence in Terminator Two. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's that, and I really think sure. it's Barry Kitson leaning into his two thousand AD days as well for this panel because at one point you've got his girlfriend across the table from him crying, going, "Oh, why are you breaking up with me?" And then the two people at the table next to them looking over just say, "Oh, these people are making a scene. I want to dine in peace." And then it's sort of the same viewpoint, but the bodies are all like charred skeletons and everything's on fire. Uh, yeah, it's because, grim. Uh, yeah, and old um, Anderson is like, uh, you know, obviously you don't see a future together, uh, because apparently we're all going to be blasted, blasted skeletons. Um, I'm frankly amazed he's in a relationship to begin with, actually, like, <laughs> yeah. seeing as he's, he apparently spends all his time at the evil locust base, basically. Yeah, yeah, but... Oh well, he's he's dumped her now because Judgment Day's coming. Yeah, he's married to his job yes. basically. That's and, the problem. And then he leaves. And then uh, from I guess one bad date to another, we 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 cut co- we cut to Barry and oh wait no sorry Linda Iris Iris damn it I always get too confused. <laughs> it's on the page in front of me. Um, Barry and Iris have uh, just been to see Steve McQueen in Bullet. At the cinema. Yeah. and So that should allow us to date this, shouldn't it? Well, I don't think it's the original release. Oh, probably not. No, I want to find this now. We've already oh. seen a calendar that said it was 1980-something, and Bullet is definitely not an 80s movie. Ah, uh, yeah. Did it get a re-release? You, you keep talking, PJ. I, now I'm determined to uh, to look this up. So Iris uh, says, what do you think of the movie? And Barry says, oh, it was a little slow. What movie were you watching, Barry? Bullet is a brilliant film. I love that film. It's got a brilliant, one of the best car chases in cinema history in it, quite frankly. So you're wrong, Barry. I, I have. I would quite like to see this, actually. I haven't seen it. Um, uh, 1968, PJ, as, as, you rightly, as you rightly said. Uh, did it get a re-release in the 80s? I don't care enough to check, Well, it, but... it might just be one of those cinemas that occasionally just does show an old film. It might not have had yeah. a general re-release, but yeah, sometimes films get a showing. There we go. Um, sorry, PJ, I, I was distracted in the wonderful world of Wikipedia. Where were we? Uh, and Iris says to Barry, look, you, you just seem so distracted when you're not with me. I can only assume you're at the office and you're there all the time. Have you met someone at work? And Barry flashes to an image of Black Canary. And then he's like, not not fast enough, Barry. And Iris says, not really. Yes, really. Who is she? Barry says, it's not what you think. And then Iris basically says, well, you've got to choose between your job and me then, haven't you? Yeah, and um, yeah, Barry does not does not handle this very well, basically. No. Um, and uh, Iris, yeah, basically, Iris Iris walks away because apparently there is a part of Barry's life that he can't share with her or won't share with her. And um, sorry, everyone, if you just heard a meow, the cat has just walked into the room. He's got opinions about Barry Allen and Iris. Bradley, 
It's not about you, please. I'm recording a podcast here. Anyway, it's fine. He's got everything he could possibly need. Um, and yeah, and uh, Iris walks away because, you know, Barry, Barry's a closed book. You know, he can, he's a very fast man, but not when it comes to thinking about what's important, I reckon. Yep. Yep. And then we go back to the Justice League's headquarters where Snapper Car is crawling through ducts because he's got to install a surveillance camera over the uh, power core. He's like, right, I think I'm over the power core now. Oh no, I'm over Jean's room. That's bad. Sorry, Jean, I'm peeking in on you. But then he sees something that startles him and he drops his screwdriver, picks up the video camera that he was about to install in the power core and starts to record. We don't see what he's seeing, but uh, something's up. Oh yeah, something, something's well up, basically. Uh, and, uh, yeah, continuing our kind of, I guess, day in the life of, uh, Robert Anderson, who is, uh, who is our, uh, kind of locust scientist with a, with a life that rapidly needs dissecting. Um, he's gone to the Rolling Hills Mental Hospital. This scene. Oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah, he's visiting his, his, his brother, Stevie, who's, um in this institution and who's who's clearly got learning difficulties and he gives his brother a hug and then Anderson says well I'm saying goodbye I've got to go away and then <laughs> Stevie's basically apologizing again for accidentally drowning their younger sister in a swimming pool and then <sighs> yeah Anderson yeah. just just leaves him and oh my god this scene is hard not I'm not saying it's bad and out, and out of place in the book, but oh my, it's it's really well done. I think that's the problem. Yeah, it was it was a bad time for my cat to jump on because he actually <laughs> it's actually a very a very deep, sincere, sad moment. Um, yeah, and uh, we 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 obviously spend a lot of time focusing on Anderson, mm. this kind of like random, obscure member of Locus. It, it just kind of like this haunted like expression on his face, you know, uh, as he just gets into his car and drives away. He's mostly silent. It's very, yeah. Yeah. Hell. It's, it's a punch to the gut in the middle of our happy superhero comic. <laughs> but I think it's yeah. also sort of trying to explain why Anderson is doing what he's doing, how normal people can get caught up in these destroy and or take over the world scenarios. Because their own uh, lives are hard. And it's a rare moment to even just to take the time in this in this story to like kind of focus on not even like a major villain, just like a kind of random minion, yeah. basically. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, a good example of it is in uh, not that this sorry this is a good example, but like another example that does this kind of very well is in um, the Invisibles, uh, Grant Morrison's uh, uh, the Invisibles, oh, where. Okay. I think we spent a whole issue following the life of literally like the faceless goon working for the bad guys, one of many who just gets shot and like killed. And like we follow, we spend, it's devastating. It's one of the best things of the Invisibles, which is, which, you know, is, is a bit of a roller coaster of, you know, trying to keep track of what's actually going on in it. But it's one of the most cohesive and devastating little moments where we just follow a guy's life from like birth to to death and you see all his kind of like failures and triumphs and everything he hoped for and that time when he just desperately needed some money so took a job working as a security guard 
for a sinister organization <laughs> only for the heroes to blaze in and gut and and just kill like all these faceless goons so yeah it's a it's a good that's a good example i'd recommend that see it, it just made me think it's the serious version of the gag in the austin powers films where austin kills a henchman and then it flashes to the family of the henchman <laughs> getting the news Ah, <laughs> uh, go easy on your goons folks yeah yeah <laughs> And, uh, but, you know, from Anderson to the league, uh, we cut back to, I guess, a meeting room where the whole team, minus Jean, are just kind of hanging out. And uh, Snapper runs in with um, a very small kind of TV screen, basically. Yeah. And it's like, folks, 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 we've got a spy. There's a spy in Jean's room. Yeah. And he shows them the footage and Dinah picks up the box and it's like wait i know him this is this is mike he's a cop in my and it's the guy who's bought her coffee a couple of times and then barry looks at the screen and goes no wait this guy is paris jackson he works in my office and then hal picks it up and jackson turns into lorna denton the faa investigator and then she turns into the marine guard that aquaman had befriended and then he turns into john jones the martian manhunter <sighs> he's been no. spying on them this whole time He's been spying on all of them. And it was very convenient of Jean to kind of like cycle through all his identities while Snapper could film him. Yes. I mean, yeah, just, you know, very good of him. Um, And I will forgive the story for Jean not, I guess, picking up on sniper, uh, snipers, Snapper's brain patterns, I suppose. If I, if I, were, being, if I were being a nitpicker, PJ, I'd say... Jean wouldn't couldn't be crept up on. <laughs> well, maybe he can at this point. He's very he's very early in his career, PJ. Admittedly. Yeah, exactly. Uh so what what are we gonna do, PJ? Are the league gonna take the time to, you know, kind of talk it out and think about the think about the next kind of course of action? Uh no, no. Hal is just gonna make a battering ram and charge through the wall into Jean's private bedroom. Yeah, and uh Jean is holding like uh, a file, which is, you know, not a good look. But um, as everyone's like, tell us what you know, Jean, what are you hiding from us? And good old Barry, you know, <laughs> Barry's like going, hey, 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 guys, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm sure Jean has a reasonable expl. Oh, no, wait. Well, and he turns. Around. Yeah. Yeah. That's because we've seen before this wall. We assume, you know, you're led to believe it's a locust thing. Cause it's files on just the four of the league members. We never saw a Jean one. But then Barry turns around and there's other here. You know, you've got Green Arrow, the Atom, the Metal Men, Metamorpho, the Spectre, Superman, Batman. Jean is compiling files on all of the superheroes of Earth. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's incriminating as hell. Yeah. I guess I would say it's not a good look. And even Barry, who is trying to kind of you know hoping for the best in people. Uh, is like, like John. Like, what on earth are you doing? And this this one took me by surprise. PJ, what's uh, what old uh, uh, Black Canary's got to say here? I know it's very good, isn't it? It's, because if you go back and check, yeah. Because uh, yeah, be, yeah. Sorry, PJ. Because yeah, she she basically says, you know, you violated us. Uh, you called me by my real name once, didn't you? We were so panicked it didn't register until now. How could I have missed that? And you get an asterisk saying at the end of issue five. And it it he did. 
When Jean's eyes and her voice box were taken by the brain, he said, Diner, Diner, is that you? And, yeah, it's, and it, it's a blinking, you miss it moment. And it's, but it's so clever. Very cleverly done. Very cleverly done. And, um, you know, uh, Hal, oddly enough, goes, this is my fault. <laughs> yeah, come on, Hal, get over yourself. Make it about you. And um, Aquaman gets right to the point. He says, look, you know, you've, you've, we took you at your word, but you've lied to us. You know, how, how long have you been deceiving us? We've been looking for a missing Appalachian. Maybe it's you, which is a hell of an accusation. Yeah. And then Jean says, look, it's not. Please try and trust me. And Snapper shouts, you know, why should we trust anything you say? And Jean tries to run away. He flies up into the air. Hal tries to catch him in a cage. And, oh, Hal, this is this is a bad look because Hal just says, forget it, alien you're not going anywhere. He's like, oh, do you have to just call him alien like that, yeah, Hal? Did we have to go straight to the A word? Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And the, but then you just get a panel of the cage and it's empty and Aquaman shouting, look out, he's gone invisible. Yeah, and I'm um, I'm trying to remember like how many uh, powers we have seen at this point. Do, do we ever touch upon in, intangibility as one of Jean's I don't powers? Th- well, I don't think we... Yeah... He may have just got out the cage before it was formed. We don't really know. But I just love I just sorry, I just love the idea that like Hal put up a cage and caught Jean, and then Jean just went invisible. And they're like, my God, he's gone invisible. Quick, dissipate your cage <laughs> yeah. so we can start looking for him. Yeah. But also, <laughs> instead of going intangible, Jean punches his way through the ceiling. <laughs> so there's a big hole in the ceiling now, and Hal tries to follow him. Uh and the rest of the league are just sort of stuck staying there. And the Flash gets angry. You don't generally see Barry angry, but here he gets properly angry and hurls, I assume, a model of Mars in Jean's room yeah. to the floor and smashes it. And both Dinah and Arthur are surprised. Yeah, because Barry's normally so, so calm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's not good. It's not good, folks. It's all kind of gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, Hey, but Anderson's back. He's, and he's at the league headquarters. Yeah. Uh he's um Yeah, he's like he's he's actually I, I get I still can't get over how they just live in a muddy cave. <laughs> um but he's basically just climbing his way towards the cave because he's like uh Oh yeah, I've got to get inside. I've got to I've got to tell the league everything. Like they'll know what to do. They're our only hope. So clearly he's had a, a massive change of heart. Yep. But then he suddenly turns around as he hears someone behind him and says, look, this this isn't what it looks like. I've come to warn you that... And then the wobbly speech bubbles from the hooded figure at the beginning are back as he says, what, that you were going to betray Locus's secrets and all of our plans for the Justice League? Noted. And it's coming from Simon Carr as he shoots and kills Anderson. Yeah, but nobody saw that coming. To be continued... To be continued, PJ. Yes, it's um, well, indeed, it's it's the sinister old guy. It was him. Oh, it was him all along. I PJ. don't trust old people," said the old man. <laughs> said an old man. Oh, PJ. Oh, no. Um, I I should say like kudos to Barry Kitson for drawing an incredibly sinister-looking Simon Carr in this panel, like. He, he uses those creases very well. He does that thing that some artists do and make it work well and others don't. 
Um, I've got a specific example I'll come to in a moment, but where instead of eyes, he just draws shadows, but he sort yes. of blends them in very well, so you can't see Simon's eyes. And there's, I read an issue of X Men from the eighties recently oh, yeah. uh, that I hadn't read before that was drawn by Rob Liefeld, and in every single panel he's in, he's drawn Wolverine with those eyes. But it just looks like solid, so rather than being shadows, it just looks like Wolverine's got two big holes in his face. And it didn't yeah. work, and I'm like, what are you doing? Come on. But I think Barry Kitson uses it as a device very well here to sort of show when Simon is being nasty Simon, or whatever's going on with him. Because the, there are moments as well when you see his eyes and they're fine, and there are other moments where they become these sort of shadow, shadowy areas where you can't see them properly. And he's really good. Yeah, I love it. Oh, indeed. And I, we've said it before, but like, um, you know, I've gone from being not massively familiar with Barry Kitson's work to being like a complete convert. Mm. Like he's got he's got lovely, a lovely way with faces. Yes. I have to say. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh, what a good issue. What a good issue. Yeah. It's a it's a weird one. And it, but in a good way. I kind of like it. It, it's, you... it feels to me like this is the issue where things ramp up. This is the start of the third act of the story mm-hmm. and the escalation. Um, you know, the discovery that it was Jean that's been pretending to be these people all along who was spying on the League and not Locus as the comic has led you to believe. But if you go back and look, you'll see these people were never actually seen with Locus. Indeed. You know. Yeah, and, and particularly like... Uh, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. Like, yeah, it's it's a gut punch to all the leaguers to think that, I don't know, a somebody they've been close to in their lives, like someone who's kind of been quite a nice human connection is a betrayal, that it's Jean, that it's, it's not real. Or I guess the other way of looking at it is Jean actually was a positive presence in all their lives, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. And, it, and it's, it's, it's actually funny you saying that, like, this is the issue where stuff starts happening because on the face of it, you could look at it and say, this is an issue where nothing happens. Um, and I, I mean that as like a positive in a weird way. It's not a very action packed episode. It's like a lot of, um, I think, I think the creators are now going, okay, we're in now we're invested. We trust these characters. We, everybody, if you're reading it, you think you've got a pretty good read on these characters. So we can just kind of delight in spending time with them. Yep. rather than worrying about big set pieces. It's a quiet episode, but a lot of momentous stuff happens. Yeah, exactly. And, oh, I'm just flicking through to the next issue. The next issue has some of my favourite moments in it as well. But, yeah, it's a quiet issue that then, that then sort of this this moment with Jean and the the moments with Anderson as well, really, are what are setting up the, the, the end of this story and where it's going. Yeah, and it's I guess it's weird, of course, that, like, they do take... Yeah, I mean, obviously with comics, we've said this before, but, like, you've always got to think about where they are investing their time and effort, the creators. And it's interesting that for an issue which gives us quite big turning points and quite big kind of character beats, they also take the time to focus on the, the smaller human stuff with Anderson, which is an interesting choice that pays off for them. Because, yeah. again, some of those moments are, are really heavy, like yeah. really kind of devastating. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It is a lot. But it's but all then we get so our Blackhawks. Well. We get our Blackhawks as well, PJ. Yeah, yeah, you get the Just... Blackhawks. And that's, you know, Jean, Jean, you're not Jean, you're John. 
Hello, oh that's me. I was going to say, John doesn't need to read the rest of year one now. He's fine. He's hit the point he wanted. He's done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, I mean, it's funny you mentioned like this being like, or, or rather like the next issue being the start of the, of the end, like the, the beginning of the end, the final act. But yeah, I guess this is this is issue eight. This is this is August. So almost perfectly to a T, story structure, act two, end of act two, our heroes are at their lowest point. Mm. Like it's it's great. This is just a sign of a well structured series. Yeah. Um, how can they come back from this, PJ? How can it be done? I don't know. I mean, I do. I've read it before, but I don't know. I have to. I have to imagine, PJ, that uh, Zhong's kind of secret file on the Spectre uh, <laughs> yeah. would have been quite short. Interesting choice. I like that. It's, it's the Spectre and the Metal Men. I guess there's, you know, you have to be careful about who you're including because not. All of the characters you might want to include would be readily available because they maybe hadn't debuted yet. You have to go with who was around when the league started. Well, I guess this is kind of planting a. Well, I was going to say I'm getting my metaphors. I was going to say planting a flag in the sand or dra- drawing a line in the sand or whatever. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's kind of cementing the idea that no, 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 this is very much our Silver Age roster. Uh, you know, it's it's 60s characters, but we're telling it in the 80s. You know sliding time scale publishing in the 90s mm. um and it shows it's a big world yeah like there was a big cask of of dukes like right out the gate yeah yeah for sure and um very little batman at the moment we had a, a couple of cameos but that's fine i think in stories like this it's better to use batman sparingly yeah because to be honest like really at this point everybody knows batman yeah like everybody knows batman and the whole point of this is that I don't want to say like lesser heroes, but you know what I mean. Like we're it, it's it's like fifty two, the original fifty two. We're going let's tell stories where we're not relying on Superman and Batman. Yeah, exactly. And poor and poor Wonder Woman who doesn't even get a look in because I guess she doesn't exist at this point. Technically, technically, technically. Well, <laughs> it depends what version you're reading. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's all. Uh, yeah, it's all kicking off soon, PJ. It's going to be a lot of um, action, dare I say. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. No, we get some fun action stuff next issue, actually. I'm looking forward to discussing that. And as, as I say, one of my absolute favourite moments from the series, a moment between Aquaman and Green Lantern that just, from the first time I read this book, I <laughs> stuck in my brain and stays there to this day. Something to look forward to. Um, but yeah, PJ. On that note, I mean, you know, with with the league at their at their lowest point, uh, is there much left to say? Uh, no, just come back next time for the thrilling continuation. Please, please come back. <laughs> we, we 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 need you all. It we would, like you all. To be fair, it'd be weird to listen to eight issues of JLA Year One and not finish it. If, oh, if yes, you're only here go. for Year One, at least finish Year One with us. I know. Please come. We're 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 in. Uh, yeah, we're we're in for we're in for the long haul now. Come on, we're we're over the hump. Yes. Uh, um, I, I guess I should say very quickly. Um, a massive thank you to Christopher Monica Murphy for uh, writing in and giving us. Um, I would say the uh, perfect summary of DC monkey and chimp themed cameos that themselves have Grant Morrison connections, which is. Something I think only Chris could do. I'm, which is I'm, I'm willing to bet that's like he has a spreadsheet or something with tabs of different things, and one of them is monkeys. <laughs> well, we have um, uh, just just a summary. We, we were talking obviously about um, 
the phenomenon where comics with a monkey on the cover sold mm. like 10 times as much as comics without monkeys uh, to the point where I believe DC for a while had an edict where they were trying to put a monkey on every cover. Uh, <laughs> hence why you get things like, um, oh, PJ, you're good at this. What's the name of the um, kryptonite gorilla that Superman fights? Oh, uh, uh, no, it's gone. Is it, it's not Titano? Ta- uh, no. Is it Titano? Yeah. 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 Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, you know, uh, or, you know, Superman finds banana yellow kryptonite or something and gets turned into super chimp or something like that you know um but as a little summary uh we have um oh god this is an obscure piece of that we might cover in the morrison mop-up but some of the additional dc one million content Mm. which is a little hard to come by i have read uh but a little hard to come by they did like an 80 page one-off that featured some Grant Morrison stories. Yes, we've, short we've stories. talked about looking at those maybe in one episode, the the Morrison shorts from the 80-page giant. Yeah, we might have to... We might do an episode which which might be like a kind of mashup of four or five like super small things yeah. because none of them are quite kind of episode worthy in their own right. But we do see in that the Primate Legion of the 853rd century, which features monkey versions of the JLA, Including, as uh, Chris rightly points out, the brilliantly named Detective Chimp, who is the monkey version of Batman. Oh, is that uh, how he started? Yeah, yeah, you do. Well, you do wonder, don't you? You do wonder. Yeah. Um, we also have The Wild Hunt, issue four, co-written by Morrison. And I am not familiar with this at all. Why does The Wild Hunt ring a bell? April 2018, PJ. I think this, because Chris has very kindly included some scans. I wonder if this does have a slight connection to Multiversity, Hmm. another big Morrison project, if only because it features Mr. Stubbs, who is a pirate monkey uh, that Morrison introduced there. So, you know, there you go. Uh, Something to think about. (laughs) And also a shout out to um, uh, the Morrison uh, Green Lantern series which also features the primate legion briefly in a cameo oh, okay so yeah so morrison and super monkeys there's there's a there's a pedigree there <laughs> i should say so thank you chris always an absolute joy you 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 know things which are well it's it's, it's just remarkable thank you <laughs> uh pj is there, is there anything you'd like to shout about uh no not not today thank you very much you know what I don't think I've got anything to shout about as well. It's been a, it's it's just been a big week, mm. and it's and uh, it's been a good comic. That's, how about that? That should be our new sign off. It's been a big <laughs> week and a good comic. Bye. <laughs> um, a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork, and to Elliot Red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune, Justice. And PJ, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, if we really have exhausted this avenue. Could you please see us off in your own unique fashion? Go watch Bullet. Bang. Bang.